Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the book of Nehemiah. And while you're finding that, uh, it's in the Old Testament in front of the book of Psalms. So that's the first hint. But um, let me say one more time, this is the last I'm going to bug you with this. So um, there is a trip to Israel that is planned in uh, April, April the 8th through the uh, 19th. And uh, it is full, but uh, there's always chances to get more tickets or people dropping out. So if you're interested... Let me hear from you and hear from you soon. Now, let me read you my text. Nehemiah chapter 1 at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, uh, we're starting a a new series this morning on the the book of Nehemiah. Uh, But um, we won't be spending much time in the book of Nehemiah itself. And I I think we'll understand as as we proceed. But I want to start uh, this new series on the book of Nehemiah with an apology. Um, And there is no question that that I am apologizing to the wrong group. This is the wrong audience to make my apology. And uh, again, I'll explain that too. But let me start like this. Um, One of the heroes for um, the Roman Catholic world and, and the Protestant world is someone who's known as, his name is St. Augustine. You, perhaps you've heard of Augustine or Augustine, uh, 4th century uh, theologian in North Africa. Wrote uh, several books, The City of God among them. But at the end of his life, or towards the end of his life, uh, Augustine wrote one more book. Uh, the title of that book was Retractionis. It's a Latin word which means retractions. But the book was really not a retraction of anything that he had said. He didn't change any of his theological positions. But what he did is he gathered all the books that he had written and and arranged them chronologically. And he went through book by book, uh, re-examining or revisiting the things that he had written. And he sought to write them more clearly and to write them better. So he didn't rewrite the whole book. just portions of each book. That he, that he thought that he could improve upon by saying things better than he had said, said them in the past. They, 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 they weren't to change or overturn anything that he had taught. They were just restatements um, in a way that he thought were, were better said and more clearly said. So in essence, his book is, could, the better word I think at least will communicate with us is that it was restatements. Now... Don't forget that little factoid, and we're going to come back to it as, as, we, uh, as we close today. The, uh, the book written by Augustine entitled Retractionis. Now guys, uh, as we begin, uh, I, want you to, I want to begin in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> we'll spend much more time there than we do in the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> but we're uh, Acts chapter 17, and I want to read you three quick verses out of Acts 17, verses 1 through 3. Now, if you know anything about the book of Acts, and so many of you do, um, uh, this is in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. 
As many of you know, Paul took three missionary journeys. They start in chapter 13, and pretty much through the rest of the book is about Paul and his uh, evangelistic missionary journeys as recorded in the book of Acts. This is in his second missionary journey, and he's arrived at the city of Thessalonica. Um, and uh, while there, the, these, are the, the three, these are three of the verses that describe his visit to Thessalonica. Let me read them to you. Um, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. They read like this. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Now guys, this is Paul uh, as you find him throughout the book of Acts. He is following his general pattern, his general um, strategy in his missionary journeys and it was this. He would come to a certain city and he would enter the Jewish synagogue and he would reason and dialogue with the Jewish leaders there in the city. And once they got tired of him, they would kick him out and he would then go to the Gentiles. Well, that's what happened in Thessalonica. Uh, He reasoned for three weeks there in the synagogue in Thessalonica, um, which is nothing new. That was his standard operating procedure. But here's what I want you to look at. This is the thing that I find just oh so interesting. Uh, verse 2, then as Paul, as his custom was, went, in, uh, went into them for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them. That's what Paul, all, he was a master logician. And he reasoned with them. And notice, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. What scriptures? Well, without, a, without doubt, ladies and gentlemen, it's a reference to the Old Testament. Paul is in a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, reasoning with the Jewish leaders there um, from the Old Testament. And and even more interesting than that, notice, explaining and demonstrating from what? From the Old Testament that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. The point is simply this, ladies and gentlemen. Paul is in Thessalonica reasoning with Jewish authorities from the Old Testament and the thing which was the subject of his debate was Jesus Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And he got that where? He got it out of the Old Testament. Um, So Paul is using the Old Testament to preach about Christ in the synagogue in Thessalonica. And this, by no means, ladies and gentlemen, was the only time that he did that. If you look over to the other page in chapter 18, we're told in verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. You'd flip over a little bit further in that same chapter, verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So there he is in this missionary journey. He's moving around Asia Minor. He comes to Thessalonica. He does this. Then he goes to Corinth. He does the same thing. He goes to Ephesus and he does the same thing. What is it that he's doing? He's entering Jewish synagogues, reasoning with them, from the Old Testament 
He's reasoning with them about the, the Messiah that, that, that had to suffer and, um, and was resurrected from the dead. Ah, but ladies and gentlemen, there's more. <laughs> Let's go now to his first missionary journey, which is recorded in chapter 13. This is when Paul first was sent out as a missionary representing the church. And we're told that he arrives in on the island of Cyprus. This is in chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Uh, he, he comes to the uh, island of Cyprus and makes his way from, um, from Cyprus uh, to the city of Salamis. I'm in verse 4 of chapter 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached, look, the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Now again, there he is in a synagogue, and what is Paul preaching? He is preaching from the Old Testament. But now he's moved from Salamis, and he's over in Pisidian Antioch. He's continuing in his first missionary journey. Um, verse 14. <clears throat> Now, when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue. There he is doing the same thing on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading, look, the law and the prophets. What is that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the term that was used to describe the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not called the Old Testament back then. There, by the way, it's still not called the Old Testament by, by Judaism. It was called the Law and the Prophets. Paul is in Pisidian Antioch, and he's preaching inside the synagogue out of the Old Testament. And let me show you what he was preaching. Look at verse 23. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior. And then keep reading. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Now, reconstruct with me. He's moving around Asia Minor, he comes to Pisidian Antioch, he goes in the synagogue and he starts preaching the law and the prophets. He starts preaching from the Old Testament. And what does he preach about? He preaches about Jesus the Savior. And he preaches and tells them that this Savior that God sent has been raised from the dead. Where did he get all that? He got all that. From the Old Testament. Paul is reasoning with Jews and he is reasoning with them from the Old Testament, teaching them about the Savior who was raised from the dead. Now, but there's still more. Um, flip back over there to Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Pardon me. Some of you were raised in churches, as I was, uh, raised in a church that offered an adult Sunday school class called the Berean class. You remember that? The church that I was, a, as a child, attended, we had a Berean class in that, in that church. And the Berean class was the, the, the adult class that studied the Bible. And you know where that name came from, don't you? It came from Acts chapter 17. Because Paul is in Thessalonica, he gets kicked out of there. And so he leaves Thessalonica and he comes to Berea. It's a city. And he begins to do the same thing. He goes back into the synagogue. He begins to reason with his audience 
from the Old Testament. And notice, notice what is said about these folks in, um, about the, in, in Berea, because they're, they're, they're uh, more fair-minded, says verse 11. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You see what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. Paul gets kicked out of Thessalonica. He comes to Berea. Uh, He begins to preach the same things. And the people in Berea, different from the people in Thessalonica, they begin to take everything that Paul was teaching and they begin to search the scriptures to see if what Paul was teaching them was the truth. What scriptures were they searching? Hmm. They were searching through the Old Testament to find out if Paul, who was talking about this Jesus and Messiah and resurrection stuff, was really in there. Now, now notice what happens as they begin to search. Uh, Look, verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed um, as a result of Paul preaching Christ from the Old Testament People are converted to faith in Christ as a result of hearing Paul preach from the Old Testament. And uh, the people in, the, in, in Thessalonica hear about it. And they don't like this. This is in verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there and also tried to stir up the crowds. You see, those people in Thessalonica hear about it. They don't like it because he's preaching what? He's preaching the word of God. What is that? The only thing that was available to him, ladies and gentlemen, was the Old Testament. And as Paul preaches the Old Testament, people become Christians. People in Thessalonica hear of that and they come down to try to get that stopped. Because you see, Paul is using the Old Testament to demonstrate, preach, proclaim, and describe the Savior who resurrected from the dead. Now, but you know, what does Paul know? I mean, (laughs) just Paul. Uh, Let's see if we can't find somebody else who's talking like this. Well, let's go over to the book of Luke. How about Luke 24? Try that. Now, who is it that's being described in Luke 24? Ooh. That's right, that would be Jesus in Luke chapter 24. And I think you know this story. It's the story of the two men who were walking to, on the road to Emmaus. Some of you have heard of that before. But um, it's, it's after Jesus was crucified. And um, people who were followers of Jesus are all upset about Jesus being dead now. And so two of them have left Jerusalem and they're on their way to this city called Emmaus. And as they're walking along the way, this stranger comes up alongside them and overhears their conversation. And he says, um, he says to them, by the way, they don't know it's Jesus yet. And um, uh, he says to them, um, hey, uh, fellas, what is this that you guys are talking about? And they say, you don't know? You don't know the things that have just transpired in these uh, past few days? Well, um... I don't know where you've been sticking your, uh, you must have been buried in some cave, but okay, we'll tell you. This man that we thought was going to redeem us from his, as, as the redeemer of Israel went out and got himself crucified. Jesus listens to that. And then everything heats up in verse 
25. Jesus says to them in verse 25, You owe you foolish people. What? He calls them fools. He says, you foolish ones. Now, why would he reply like that? He says, you foolish ones. And they're thinking, foolish ones? <laughs> I mean, uh, why did he call them foolish? Because, ladies and gentlemen, because their, their grief and their sorrow was unnecessary. Unnecessary, you say? Yes, unnecessary. Because look what he says in verse 25. You foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, in all that the prophets have spoken, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer all these things. What has Jesus said? He said, gentlemen, all this sorrow that you are experiencing at this moment is unnecessary. If you had only read the prophets, what? prophets well the Old Testament prophets of course if you had been students of your own Bible the Old Testament and listened to what the prophets have said in all that then you could have saved yourself all this grief because you would have known that the prophets had been predicting this for centuries and then what, look what happens next this is verse 27 and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning, look, himself. Guys, you see, he, he begins at Moses. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the Torah. He begins with Moses. He goes to the prophets. And what is he teaching them as he does this quick survey of the Old Testament? He's teaching them that all of the things that you see contained here in Moses and the prophets concern me, says Jesus. They're all about me. Well, no, wait, 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 just a minute, doctor. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure you, I, can, I, you know, I can buy all that. Well, then look down to verse 44, because he does the same thing. He repeats himself when he says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Ladies and gentlemen, those three words, the prophets, I mean, the, the, the law, the prophets and the Psalms. Do you know how much of the Old Testament that covers? <laughs> All of it. All of it is concerning Jesus. One more and I'll quit. Um, at least this part. Um, John chapter 5. I think you know that when, through Jesus' earthly ministry, he was dogged with uh, all kinds of opposition and people who hated him and were trying to overturn what he said and disagreed and tried to, you know, uh, prove that he was wrong and all that business. At one point in all this opposition, this is in John chapter 5, um, Jesus says this, there is a fourfold witness that speaks to me. Uh, it's in verse, if I could only see that, um, it's, uh, it begins in verse 31. Uh, chapter 5, verse 31. They says there's a fourfold witness that points to me. He says, the first thing that points to me is the, uh, are my works, all my miracles, all those things that point to me. And they prove that I am who I say I am. And then he mentions 
in terms of the four. He's already mentioned one, the word. Now he's got three others, and he mentions three persons. He mentions, first of all, John the Baptist in verse uh, 33. John the Baptist, he's the one, he, he, he spoke about me. And then up in verse 37, he says, and the Father himself has testified of me. There's, there's witness number three. Now, here's the fourth one, verse 46. For if you believed Moses, their big hero, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Look. For he, Moses, wrote about me. If you really understood what Moses wrote, you wouldn't be fighting me. You'd be believing in me. Because you see, Moses, that would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote about me, says Jesus Christ. Guys, here's my point. All of the Old Testament is about Christ. All of it. And you know, I just may spend the rest of my ministry among you trying to convince you that that's true. Now, let me, um, let me come to my apology. Um, which, let me repeat, is to the wrong audience. You're not due this apology, but I, I want to make it but to the wrong audience. Let me explain. Back in 1979, I had graduated from seminary in 75. I left seminary to plant a church in Ocala, Florida. I think you know that. And um, while there, for 10 years, um, I did a series on Sunday nights. That's back when people went to church on Sunday nights. I know you can remember that, you know. But um, uh, it was a series on on the book of Nehemiah. And um, what I did through that study of the book, book of Nehemiah, I used it. I used it as a, I, I used the book of Nehemiah as somewhat of a treatise on spiritual leadership. And I taught the book of Nehemiah, um, extracting from it, principles on how spiritual leaders lead. And what I said then in 1979 was it wasn't heresy. But I missed it. The book of Nehemiah is not about spiritual leadership. It's about Christ. The book of Nehemiah is not about leadership. It's about the leader. 
And that leader is not Nehemiah. The leader is Christ, folks. This book that we're going to study, it's, um, it's, it's not about a great man, Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is about a great God. A God that Nehemiah trusted in and served and represented well. But the book, ladies and gentlemen, is not about Nehemiah. It's about Nehemiah's God. Gang, it is possible, and I think this mistake is made oh way too much. It is possible to know all of these wonderful Old Testament Bible stories and to miss the Bible story. One of my heroes, uh, theologically, um, is a guy by the name of Edmund Clowney. Edmund Clowney used to um, teach at Westminster Seminary, and uh, he's retired now, I think. Um, but um, I-, I quote Edmund Clowney far more than you know. Um, you know that sentence that I use again and again and again about Jesus lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. That's from Clowney. Uh, I'm, I'm not smart enough to think of something like that. But Ed Clowney, he said this, that Jesus Christ is the north star of our hermeneutic. You know what hermeneutics is? Hermeneutics are the principles by which we interpret the Bible. There are rules, there are principles that, that help us and enable us to rightly interpret the Bible. And Ed Clowney says that the north star of all of our biblical hermeneutics is Jesus Christ. And so when we come to a Bible story like um, uh, Daniel and the lion's den and we see Daniel get himself thrown in there and we see him, you know, I don't care, I'll go in there amongst those lions and <coughs> he gets those lions and the mouths are closed and, and, uh, and he walks out and everybody says, yay, Daniel, he's so brave. So all of you people, all you little boys and girls, you go out there and be brave like Daniel. Ladies and gentlemen, that's to miss the story. Daniel is not about Daniel. And Nehemiah is not about Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, ladies and gentlemen, is about Nehemiah's God. And I'm telling you, we can read Old Testament story after Old Testament story, and we turn those stories into nothing more than Marvel comic books. We turn them into some kind of treatment of the, of the superhero. Gang, there's only one hero. And all these other little heroes, they point us to him. Charles Spurgeon, of course, is another one of my heroes. I I quote him a lot too. Charles Spurgeon, I think, died in 1898, something like that. Uh, So I'm going to call him 19th century. He's probably the greatest preacher that ever occupied a pulpit. He was a Baptist preacher in London. And... um, and, and Spurgeon said this 
as a preacher in London. He said, from every village in England, all roads lead to London. So does every text, all of them, lead to Christ. Every road, out of every village, all of them lead to London. Just like every text from every book, all of them lead us to Christ. And in 1979, I missed the road. And so my new study of this one that we'll really get into next week, the new study of the book of Nehemiah is my retractionis. One more verse and, and I'm done. Go back if you've still got your Bibles in your laps. Go back to Luke 24. Let me show you one other thing that was said there in that story about the road to Emmaus. One other thing that was said there, and then I'll quit. It's in verse 32. And um, Jesus has left them. They finally realized who they had been, who they'd been dining with and walking with. And this is what they say in verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Hearts set on fire by hearing of Christ through the Old Testament. That, ladies and gentlemen, is my hope for us as we study in the coming weeks the book of Nehemiah and every other book in this book of books. Hearts. Hearts on fire because of the beauty of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected as seen in the book of Nehemiah. By the way, the name Nehemiah means the Lord has comforted. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, there's only one way that the Lord comforts sin-soaked hearts like ours. And it's not through Nehemiah. The only comfort that God offers to a sin-aroused conscience is the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled on that conscience. The Lord has comforted, but not through Nehemiah.
He has come for us. Through Christ crucified and resurrected. Let's quit. Our Father, um, forgive me for having missed the road 35 years ago. And I pray that you will allow me to rightly handle this portion of your word for your people such that their hearts might be ignited by seeing Christ in the Old Testament and in this story of Nehemiah. Our Father, um, if you've brought people here this morning who have not yet, met, not yet met the Savior, who are still wondering how it is that they're ever going to stand before you knowing that their sin has made a separation between them and you, would you allow them to see the same beauty that we've seen? And that beauty is Christ and him crucified. There is no other beauty. There is no other merit. There is no other hero. There is no other savior. There is no other remedy except what is offered to us by Christ in his life and in his death. So, Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met him, Open their eyes that they cannot leave this room until they have embraced him in all of his saving beauty. Father, thank you for the privilege that is mine to, um, to correct, but also to represent Christ in all of his beauty for your people. Might their souls flourish as a result of being taught this book in a way that points them to the real hero of the book, Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name.